Well, we're back. My long-awaited return has come. We're back. The prodigal son has returned. Mm-hmm. Um, what are we talking about? I don't know, Stephen. This is your show. Uh, I am Stephen's brother. Mm-hmm. I'll withhold my name. As oh, you right. all know. <laughs> you already know. Yeah. We're going to talk about many things today. But we're going to start with the secret history. Mm-hmm. Uh, the secret history. Why don't you I'll I'll, I'll give a rundown. So, when I was in my sophomore year of high school, or uh, junior year, yeah. um, I discovered this wonderful book by Donna Tartt called The Secret History. Um, I read it, and it was probably the only book over like 400 pages I've read in full in three years. Um, and it, 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 I mean, it's spectacular. So I, thus I gave it to Steven who read it. And if anyone who, if any of you have read it, you would know why, Mm -hmm. but we'll get into that. Yeah. I don't take book recommendations very seriously Mm -hmm. because I have a long list of my own books I want to read. So when people recommend something, I usually ignore them, but this one I did take seriously. Mm-hmm. Also, if you give me the book, then I'm more likely to read it. I'm not going to buy a yeah, book you recommend. That's a, that's a bunch of nonsense. But I could um, tell the way you said it. I was like, okay, this is going to be for mm-hmm. me. I believed you. So I discovered The Secret History through... I saw a YouTube video about Dark Academia. Oh, yeah. And it mentioned the book. Because apparently in this tumblr instagram subculture i guess tumblr's not real anymore is no. it no um but instagram subculture a dark academia um they like worship it's like the bible yeah for these little kids who i mean i don't get i mean i'm wearing i guess i a car a, a, what am i wearing like a, a, cable, a, a cable fisherman that's pretty thing. dark academia. that is pretty dark academia i follow a lot of dark academia yeah i mean accounts. they're very interesting it's a very nice aesthetic but yeah. that the aesthetic's dead so who cares <laughs> i mean <laughs> i don't know which places of um education these people are going to but yeah i mean as dasha and anna said in one of the recent episodes like you can't actually live the dark academia no. aesthetic because it's like you would have to go to Oxford or one of these uh, like old school Ivy League universities and you know dress in like Hogwarts clothes and just sit in dark corners mm-hmm. and read very emotional whatever. Like it's not really a thing anymore. And it as I think Dasha was saying, like it's such a sad nihilistic thing because like it doesn't exist and you can only fantasize about it well it's nice to fantasize it is i mean i don't blame people but yeah well dark academia dark academia secret history history, which i don't want to say it's my favorite novel of all time it's one of them but it's the it's one that i've invested the most time into and yeah had the most interest definitely you can't put it down no um well for those of you don't know the secret history I think it was written in 1990-something. Oh, wow. Um, by Donna Tart, who, interestingly enough, went to Bennington College. Bennington? Bennington College. Some crazy things happened there. Some crazy things did happen at Bennington. And Stephen, who is Bennington College's most famous, in my our opinion, professor? The, the supreme goddess known as Dr. Paglia. This is correct. Camille Paglia went there. And I don't think she. Did, I don't know. Or taught there. She taught there. So you're saying before we go into the story itself. Mm-hmm. So you're saying there's this podcast where they're there is. exposing the real like background of secret history. Yeah, I don't want to put this podcast on blast because I mean it's interesting. The, the content is interesting. It's no, no. It's very boring. <laughs> but basically, like, yeah. all these famous people. Were at Bennington and did Correct. very wild things, they did. like they what were happens in the book. Late stage, decadent. I mean, they, they were like the last yeah. of the aesthetics, you know, like the decadent aesthetic. Yeah. Um, and a big point of reference in this podcast about 
Bennington in the 1980s is Brides Had Revisited. Oh. Which it was pointed, they all dressed like. Um, oh, they dressed. Yeah, like that it. was like a big point. And that's a big point of the book as well, of the secret history, is that the students yeah. dress in like these mm-hmm. pre, like post World War One. Yeah, like period dress, which mm-hmm. is very strange. But but anyway, there's these right. five or six students. I can't remember how many in the secret history, and they're all classic students. Mm-hmm. Um, and they study under this mysterious. Yeah. Uh, I forget his name. I don't know. Julian. I don't feel and like was, that could fly today. No, because he no. had way too much of a like private relationship Correct. with them. It was like cult of personality it stuff. Was. Um. I think his name was Julian. Yeah, it was Julian. Julian. And in my head, I imagined he looked like Julian Assange. Oh. <laughs> so the main character is it? Is it written in first person? I forget. Yes. So that this guy, he's poor. He was poorer. Okay, so it's like it's the elite initiating mm-hmm. the proletarian kind of character. Um, yeah, like very esoteric kind of rituals pagan stuff Mm -hmm. but i i think like yeah the big appeal of it is the dionysian dionysian um greek yeah pagan well without giving too much away there are blood sacrifices yes there is a very i mean it's a direct reference yeah by name to a bacchanal yeah um in the book I won't go into detail as to what happens, but that is what happens in the book. Um, So, I mean, the whole book is based on, like, Dionysian elements. Yeah, and, and like, a lot of perverse sex stuff. Yeah, uh, incest. Incest, sodomy, that's not that weird. No. Um, But I think the other interesting thing is that Donatar is very Catholic. Mm -hmm. Southern. Southern. And it says a lot about the Dionysian elements of Catholicism. Um, And it speaks to just a lot of these big converts, like, you know, a lot of the decadent writers Mm -hmm. like Wilde, Baudelaire, who else? And but also, I mean, the, philosophically speaking, this is a point that a lot of people like George Bataille, Nietzsche make about um, you know the the mystical saints having ecstasies like Teresa of Avila. Like, there's this Dionysian um, what's the word? Like this extreme intense form of pleasure mm-hmm. um, that Catholicism has that may be more like watered down forms of christianity do away with so it's intense correct it's very intense yeah i mean the the outward catholicism was not a big part of the book no they're only little hints yeah but like there's like like, whereas in brideshead it was that's a figurehead of the entire story i mean it's catholic propaganda (laughs) brideshead was catholic propaganda but um yeah. So I mean, secret history. So anyway, the school in um, the secret history. I think it's called like Ham Camden. It was either Camden or Hamden College. Ham something. Um, because and it was based on Bennington College, mm-hmm. and a lot of the stories are directly from uh, Miss Tart's time mm-hmm. at. I mean, it's it was basically like decadence university. She is very private. She is very private. She doesn't give interviews. I would love to interview her. Her her best interview is with Charlie Rose. Charlie Rose. Yeah, but we can't talk about him. So he got canceled. Yeah, you didn't know this? He raped someone. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, Add him to the list. (laughs) So secret history. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's move on to some Red Scare commentary. Yeah, I mean... They talked about I'm, yeah. I'm just surprised that Dasha didn't bring up secret history. Yeah. I would be surprised if she didn't know about it. It's like on their up their alley. I mean, do they seem? They don't strike me as people who read very often. I, I hate to, Anna reads. Yeah, Anna reads. Yes. Dasha has not read Lash. 
That oh yeah, that is true. No, but in college, like she read a lot of philosophy. Mm-hmm. She's always refer, but like she's referencing them, but it's not in a BS kind of way. It's like she actually right. knows like a lot about Judith Butler and Nietzsche and Wittgenstein, right. all these people. Well, but- I as someone who actually doesn't read that many books, but likes to pretend they do, I sympathize with that point. Yeah, this is the um, the theorygram thing. I was telling yeah. you about theorygram. A lot of a lot of these posters on Instagram will quote these obscure philosophers, but really haven't read them. Mm-hmm. It's performative, you know. Yes. But anyway, um, so the recent episode with Alex Jones. Yeah. That was a crazy move. It was. Um, that I was mean, very risky. I was talking to someone and we joked that they, they could never do another episode again. <laughs> and it would be A-OK. I mean, it's come full circle, which is very yes. funny. <laughs> I think this is why it's so symbolic. That, yeah. Like, it's the far dirtbag, in politically incorrect left. And, I mean, I don't know. I guess we would call him far right. He transcends that. Oh, but, yeah. but I think what's funniest, though, is that Dasha became famous through that uh, mm-hmm. InfoWars video. And they were laughing about it together. Right. I mean, that's yeah. cool. I mean, truth be told, I don't listen to steven's podcast as much as i should so i don't know it's how much boring, don't worry well i don't know how much you talk about red scare but i i mean i try not to because it's the you know right it's the archetype. so predictable that i yeah. would do that but you know maybe but this well. this is i mean in terms of like culture at least online mm-hmm. internet um young people culture that's like this is a big deal it is though yeah. I mean, it's opened the door a lot of people who've had these thoughts for a while now have license to talk about it, but also there's like a cultural reference point for us to mm-hmm. be like, oh, like even you have said you've mentioned it in your classes and like now it's a thing like, oh, right. people who listen to Red Scare. And it validates like you can be critical of the status quo without having to be like an extremist or a lunatic. Mm-hmm. Like that's I think that's why it's so validating. Yeah, I mean, listening. I mean, personally, I was uncomfortable listening to it. I don't think anything he said was false. No, no, I'm, I'm not. Like, like, yeah, I don't see any errors. I mean, I mean, I do think a lot of it. Um, he makes these broad sweeping that, assumptions yeah. about the, the elites, the people in power. I happen to think he's correct now. Um, might he be going a little too far with certain assumptions making sure but i'm just inclined to be like well you're not wrong yeah i mean listen i agree i think it's funny that he's been vindicated over the years more and more yeah um as he's been kicked off the internet but the i think the big thing though is that like he's written off as this far-right crazy lunatic Mm -hmm. but the fact that a lot of people on the left or people who aren't really right wing they see that okay the power of the elites like yeah this is a real thing now whether it's all conspiratorial and they're planning to take over the world and are in cahoots with satan i don't know but i think both left and right are starting to see okay Mm -hmm. there's something up and we can all agree on that yeah i mean listening to him it's i I think most of the things he says are right he just misses like the details and how he says it and Mm -hmm. Um, like, I mean, the most famous example of, or the most famous clip of Alex Jones is he goes, they're putting chemicals in the water. They're deterring the friggin' frogs gay. But like, that was <laughs> true. That was a, deterring like, frogs gay. No, if like, if you go online and look up, there's a whole video about this that he, I mean, he was right. He wasn't directly right, but they're oh. like, they were putting chemicals in the water that were changing frogs. Yeah, I mean, he's, um, I think it's the whole, the fact that we can call into question these narratives about people in power, whether it's government, entertainment industry, healthcare, that they all are people of goodwill who are telling us the truth and we can totally trust everything they say. Like, that's becoming less and less credible yeah. as time goes on. Yeah. I mean, I think most people who aren't, I, I think more and more people who don't ascribe to a political party or political mm-hmm. beliefs see that um and you know the joke is like all centrists you know have no uh volition or you know don't want to declare a party because they're cowards uh, but people who are in the middle 
are the ones, I mean, to, at least now in our mm. modern discourse, are the ones who, who see things with a very clear and viewpoint, mm. at least as I see it. Yeah, what's becoming... I guess the status quo has always been like, oh, all the sides are corrupt, all the sides have yeah. errors, but you have to pick the lesser of two evils, you got to play... You got to work within the system if you want to make a difference. Mm. And I think that kind of trope is becoming less and less credible because, like, look at the Biden Trump thing. Most people are like, oh, Trump is evil. Biden sucks too, but at least Biden's not Trump. So let's throw support behind Mm -hmm. him. And it's like, sure, I get that logic, but then at the end of the day, you have to compromise yourself very much to support biden and a lot of us especially a lot of young people don't want to compromise ourselves for the sake of settling for the lesser of two evils like i think we want more than just that um because like if you compromise and say oh yeah well biden's better than trump you're still losing so much of your integrity um and to like to desire something beyond these two on the binary it's really idealistic like Uh it's very utopian but for me, at least, I rather throw my support behind a utopian ideal that's never going to happen rather than compromise myself and be like, oh, well, we got to make some changes within the system. Like, yeah. that's, it's part of it's my temperament, part of it's being a millennial. Maybe I'm just too privileged to care about reality, but <laughs> I, I just don't feel comfortable saying like, oh, well, well I mean, that's okay, I guess. This isn't exactly Lash's point in, in the culture of narcissism, but the subtitle, you know, America in the Age of Diminishing Expectations. I mean, I think we have a collective, just completely destroyed set of expectations for what society mm-hmm. and life should be. I mean, think about yeah. it. When you go out, right, you buy something at the store. I mean, this is, you know, like sound like a real boomer here but Mm -hmm. when you go to a restaurant or store and you get dinner you buy something the quality of what you're getting is more often than not really subpar Mm -hmm. but because that's the status quo we are we don't challenge anymore mediocrity yeah we really are at like in an age of mediocrity I mean, you know, do we? Yeah, I don't think we really believe in anything. No, we. I mean, we believe in things, but very few of us are willing to die for anything. And I don't just mean like die for some ideal, but like when it comes to our work, a lot of us don't find our work valuable enough to really put mm-hmm. our whole effort in. And like whether if it's you're making a product, to really make a a good quality product like, or well that and it's all shipped to china and oh, that too. yeah <laughs> yeah um, the means of we have i think it's partially because like we don't have a relationship with the means of production anymore no. like everything's just all abstract so like why nobody really cares well i mean i think part of it is like the the cult the american cult of uh work and late not labor as much but work and you know doing work trying to the hustle culture i mean it's been proved to be completely false and devoid of anything meaningful so i think a lot of people are just like well who cares at this point yeah i'm thinking of so a couple episodes ago we had bill cavanaugh on who is who wrote a lot about amazon and what's wrong with Uh it and one thing he was saying about late phase capitalism is that we work like dogs so that we can buy things and live a lifestyle that we don't really need mm-hmm. whereas it used to be that like you worked just enough so you can buy the minimum and then like your need for happiness was full was filled through um things that aren't like consumer experiences like being with family uh religious kind of whatever um what you know it's just because our happiness is predicated on the consumption of goods and experiences now we have mm-hmm. to work above and beyond so that we can purchase it and then we're miserable because we're not really made to work yeah. like wild animals yeah i think there's such a thing as like um i mean as humans we worship something that's just an anthropological reality now if it's a religious thing we worship that's another story yeah but I see I at first I was like okay that makes sense everybody but then the more and more I mean I don't know if this is a COVID thing or what people worship nothing more and more um I think you're right 
I th- yeah, I think we numb that need to worship, but it it goes somewhere. It's yeah. just dulled down. Well, yeah, I mean, like the cult of social justice. People worship people, like yes, CRT that, but also some. But they don't people, really worship it. They they could you know, they're not dying by the sword. You know, the other thing I would say though to your point that like people aren't worshiping anything. I think a lot of people worship distraction and entertainment. Yeah. So like, yeah, there are people who worship this idea of justice, but many people who are apathetic, mm-hmm. they worship distraction, whether it's scrolling through Instagram, watching Netflix, getting high. That's true. So I, I do stand by this idea that we're all going to worship something. Um, but I want to go back to Red Scare for a moment. Mm-hmm. The fact that Dasha is getting all this mainstream attention because of succession, there's the New York magazine, yeah, Vulture. What's going to happen as a result of this? Um, well, as we know, typically women can't get canceled. <laughs> Kidding. Well, um, Roseanne. The, Roseanne. The, there's some women's Oh, um, Megan Kelly did. Oh, yeah, yeah that's no true. No one even likes okay. her. She's in yeah, dumb no, she's dumb. a loser. Um <laughs> I, I I don't know. I'm of the opinion that if enough people like you, you can't actually get canceled. Yeah. Like Chappelle. Dave Chappelle will never get canceled. No, he, he can't do it. Going on to our next topic, Morrissey will never, ever get canceled. Yeah, you have to educate me because I don't right. listen to uh, anything. We'll, go, we'll do a deep dive. Okay, in a moment. Yeah. But I, I mean, one of my questions about the whole Dasha getting attention... I wonder if that's going to allow the Red Scare discourse to become more mainstream. I mean, it's always mainstream, though. The no. top, the topics are the you the conclusions in, aren't. No, but I'm saying like to talk like dirtbag leftist kind of ideas, and uh, mm. um, I mean, I can't go. You know, you can't go into your class and just start spouting off Anakachian said. Yeah, I can't do that. Um, it's a niche thing. Well, I think part of it is that I mean, I, I don't know. I think, and that we're and we're, ta- we're putting them on a pedestal here. You um, kind of have to. Yeah, but it's a big deal. It is. I, I mean, I think they're both very reasonable people. At the end of the day, I think that the appeal of the podcast and the reason we're talking about it is because it's interesting enough that people listen week in and week out. Yeah, I mean, so, it's morally very corrupt. What they're yeah, doing. I mean, it's, very it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's like why do we watch? movies why do we watch yeah. you know why do we play call of duty and shoot each other on but the, the good thing about them is that they don't claim to be something they're not like no they know that, that is like their kind of decadent take is amoral mm-hmm. and that's why i'm okay with listening to it like mm-hmm. i know i have to listen to it with the grain of salt because then i really do become like an ironic asshole right, yeah. who doesn't care about anything but i still think it's worth right. like i still respect them um yeah, yeah. i mean I respect them. Um, I, res- I mean, the dynamic I respect more than anything. I mean, Anna is oh. now a mother, and that's her perspective. And Dosh is becoming a mainstream actress, a mainstream actress. And that that's, I mean, the dynamic is very interesting to me. The motherhood thing is a big deal. Yeah. Because, like, I know a lot of, I guess you can say, trad women Mm -hmm. who have babies and, like, really feel validated by Anna. Because, like, motherhood really, as much as our culture shits on it, it is, like, the most empowering thing that a woman, one of the most empowering things a woman can experience that we will never experience as men. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, maybe. Well, you never know. I don't really want to have a baby. No. All the transhumanist non- stuff. You transhumanism. Anyway, let's go on to con. Well, um, yay, yay. Get it right, Stephen. Well, anyway, we're recording this the day that um, Virgil Abloh died of cancer. I don't really know who this is. I'm ignorant. Um, he was creative director of Off White. Off white certain sections of Louis Vuitton. Well anyway. Yeah. Okay. He was stuff. very he's very big in the rap, music, artists, generally pop culture scene, and he died of cancer today at forty one. Rest in peace. Yeah. Rest um, in peace. Scott and Pache. 
But as many say, he was Kanye's apprentice, and we can talk about Kanye a little bit. I mean, he mentioned him many times yes. in the in the the now what soon to be infamous interview. Yeah, so that was um, Drink Champs. Drink Champs. Drink I had Champs. never heard of that until. Yeah, I don't know what it is, yeah. but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets killed for what he said. Oh, I, I think that's an exaggeration. Uh, it's happened before. France, Michael, Whitney, Amy, Lauren, not yet. But anyway, anyway. No, so what I find most interesting is the effect this interview is having because I know people who, you know, for lack of Mm -hmm. a better term, are very woke, people of color, who, you know, ascribe to this mainstream social justice discourse. But didn't um, disagree with anything he said because... As much as he's challenging that discourse and he's like saying the Democratic Party is using black people, I think people are now at the point where they could be like, well, he's politically incorrect, but he's not wrong. Like nothing he said was false. No, and I watched all three hours in one day. Um, Yeah, me too. I listened to it twice. Yeah, it's uh, it was like a little it was a little spooky. It was. I mean, this is like probably the biggest star in the world. For I mean, you know, I mean, obviously there are greater in terms mm. of popularity. I mean, Drake, for example, Drake doesn't stand for anything. No, but exactly. There's there's no one that transcends like fashion. You know. Yeah. I mean, every single. I mean. Drake doesn't permeate culture the same no. way Kanye does. So no. it, it was interesting seeing someone like that. I don't even think Drake is that talented. No, of course not. I it's mean, not. maybe he's early out. His rapping really is not even that no. awesome. It's, I mean, he's like a good business guy. He's good at he's, building he's up his persona. He's a very good businessman. Um, um, his early albums weren't terrible. I liked uh, Thank You Later. Yeah. Thank Me Later. I used to listen to that. Uh, was the other one, Take Care. That was Take a good care. one. He, had, he has some good yeah. like mainstream pop radio hits. Mm. Good production. But what I find interesting about Kanye is that he's talking about uplifting the black community in a way that challenges yeah. the kind of mainstream liberal left discourse and many people want to dismiss him as an Uncle Tom because he wore the MAGA hat. Mm-hmm. Morally questionable, whatever. Yeah. But he had a point. He was trying to say, as a black man, I'm free to do think whatever, yeah. on my own and not have to be co-opted by Democrats who claim to care about black communities but really just want mm-hmm. to make black people become self-serving elitists while the or rest... A, or a vote. get a vote but yeah but like the kinds of um, benefits or opportunities they offer to people of color really is only to make them one of the elites rather than uplifting the black communities as a whole yeah and i think that's his whole narrative it's about up building up community family black fathers Mm -hmm. um providing resources that you can live a meaningful life where you are rather than like becoming one of the elites like oh you can throw money at your old community so you feel better about yourself but like uplifting from the bottom up not the top down yeah i mean his and listen i'm not one i'm not as tratty as some other people some people um but his stuff about family is very profound i mean he's not wrong that's the yeah and but it's also it's a matter of racism that black families black fathers are targeted and because that's like that's how you how um you know a community stops thriving when families yeah. break down yes. yeah, um, when you reject tradition and it's not just tradition it's that like having roots having a place well yeah to that's go what that i'm saying you reject you. your yeah cultural like, tradition it's so. it's financial first well economic yeah. that you need communities that it, you know let's say you're right, going yeah. through a hard time someone mm-hmm. helps you but it's also existential that like you have a source of meaning in belonging to a people, to a history, to a faith, yeah. whatever. Um, so it's not just like that's why it's hard to dismiss it as like, oh, it's trad, it's conservative. It's just human. Yeah. Um, and no, the, I mean, yeah, it's very, it's very humanist. Yeah, I mean, um, humanist in a real sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, humanist. But also the fact that like he keeps calling out the whole abortion thing, mm-hmm. it makes you think like the fact that fifty percent of black deaths happened before 
you're born. The, the idea that the whole abortion rights narrative is about empowerment, no, that's yeah. the thing. It's like, sure, if you want to have the right to abortion, yeah, have the right, yeah. but don't frame it as something it's not. It's not something empowering. It's something that No, I, th- I think the greatest sin, for lack of a better sin. term... No of uh, that whole discourse is, is making it seem as though it's very easy to do something like that. And it's strange, though, because when you look at the beginning, when the Democratic Party supported Roe v. Wade, the whole the line was, let's keep abortion rare, safe. Yeah, like it rare, rare and safe. It should be. Um, but now yeah. it's like this is a great thing because it allows women to have yeah. a future. I think, a, I think a part of that is like because our living conditions are increasingly worse every year. Yeah. Um, to make abortion, make people feel as though abortion is a, a good, not a good thing, but a, an okay thing to do. Empowering. They're not, it's empowering like, you know, on some level. Um, I think it's a cop out for the conditions we yeah. live in. I mean, because listen, in an ideal world, abortion is an option for the rare circumstance, but not the, I mean, like no one should be going to get an abortion. But it's also like you because have, yeah. because they don't the financial instability is yeah. too much. That's a really sad prospect for a lot of people of color. You know, but it's also sad people. that like women are pressured to be like, yes, I feel good now and I feel empowered. And really, again, you can debate whether it should be legal, or whatever. <laughs> but it's not a happy experience. It's like it's very sad and I heavy. See, I. I agree, but I disagree that people are... I think some people, some, like, loony, like, you know... Yeah. SJW types maybe print, paint it as uh, empowering. But yeah. I don't know that that's across the board. I think yeah. I think it's a, actually there's no emotion attached with it at all. And that's... that's it us- Most women I know who have an abortion, it does come later. It's yeah, not always well, immediate. No, of course, but I'm saying that the, the, the discourse that surrounds yeah. it is, has very little emotion attached to it. Anyway, not to harp on Red Scare, but when Anna opened up about her abortions, that was, that was like, yeah, whoa, that was, that was very... I thought it was powerful. It was. I, it was I, very it was raw. surprising. I was in... Um, but, yeah. Well, anyway, so that's 30 minutes. I think we should move on to the, move on. the latter half. Okay, so let's say a few words about James Dean. Okay. I haven't really talked about him much on here yet, but... That's uh, that that's a crime. Yeah, so James Dean, what, what do you want to say about um, him? James Dean... I mean, probably one of the more influential figures in my life. Mm-hmm. Why? Um, his story. I know people totally romanticize it now, and I guess I'm guilty of that. But um, his mm-hmm. story is like a modern day Greek tragedy. Yeah. Oh yeah. And oh yeah. It's I, I don't know. It's it's really profound to me that. I mean, for all intents and purposes, he was not happy with the fame and the fortune, and the, no. and he never even lived to see it. Really, he um, had a death wish. Yeah, like this yes. fascination with mortality, the cars, and the. Yeah. I mean, that the car he bought, the was the little bastard mm-hmm. or whatever it's yeah. called, um, had a history of like being. And the week before he died, someone told him, "You know, you're going to die in that car." Yeah, and then lo and behold yeah so i think in terms of like the greek tragedy i see a lot of cult of adonis so like the male youth Mm -hmm. who you know um i guess the whole thing behind adonis and wilds was big on this that you know you recognize that the young male when he's between childhood and adulthood it's this kind of phase where um a phase of innocence preparing for adulthood and for the you know the hardships the corruption that comes with it mm-hmm. but you want to it's like you want to hold on to this youthfulness the beauty but inevitably we know it's going to end yeah. and like adonis gets well killed I, that's before, my, my yeah. thing is i think his that playfulness that boyishness never yes. never died in james dean ever the, yeah keeping the youth immortal yeah. um I mean, there's there's multiple instances that I can think of. Um, the scene in um, Rebel, no, East of Eden, East of Eden, yeah, where he falls. I, I can't remember the father's name, but he's trying to give him money. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. and um, 
as the story goes, that was not in the script. He wasn't. I mean, Cal. yeah, Cal oh. falls on Daddy. his falls on his father and like breaks down crying, um, and then yeah. runs out and like through the door screen door. Mm-hmm. Um, but from my understanding, that was not in the script, and he just yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. see that in the James Franco yes. movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think it's the whole like the uh, um, dissolution with authority. You see him pulled back and forth between this desire for a father, mm-hmm. but also being disillusioned with authority because it's like his experience of fatherhood is this midwestern, very dryly yeah. masculine. Also the mother. Oh the yeah, the yeah, the mother thing. That's very Freudian, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I, I think it's a bigger commentary on how American puritanical authority figures mm-hmm. don't have anything compelling. It's just like authority without roots, yeah, and it just leaves young people feeling empty. And mm-hmm. like either you become a rebel or you search for an authority that is grounded in something yeah. substantial. Yeah, I mean, uh, Rebel Without a Cause, like unironically, is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Um, and we watched a clip of it in a class of mm. mine, and um it was the scene where he kicks his foot through the painting yeah. and th- throws himself through the door um and like i don't know if it's just the t- you know mm-hmm. um time or whatever has passed but a lot of people started laughing at it in, in mm-hmm. my class and i don't blame them and it is kind of funny um yeah. detached from the greater scheme of the film um but it was it was just interesting to me because i i i a lot of people look at that movie and laugh and be like, it's silly. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's uh, frivolous. I, I I really don't think so. So was he an actual homosexual well, or did he just do it out of rebellion? Here's the thing. A lot of I, I think it's just a modern thing. I mean, it's documented that he was most likely at least bisexual in mm, our modern. I mean, a lot of things. But yeah. like, do you think it was he had a genetic predisposition? Like he was born um, that way? I don't know. I, that's a slippery slope. Yeah, I don't, don't want to make assumptions. I think part of I think it's like the Freudian complex that the mother, the father was distanced, mm. so the mother filled in the the blanks. Well, yeah, the the Marlon Brando thing is. Uh, I mean, so Marlon Brando used to put out cigarettes in him. He really? was like, yeah, it was. Is this weird paternal? It was, it, that, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, it was a very uh, like yeah. stand-in father. But I, I think a lot of it was just he wanted to rebel. Yeah, he wanted to fill a father wound. Yeah. Um, Who is the young guy, the kid that looked up to him in the movie? Uh, Salminio. Yeah. Also, he was an actual. He was actually a guy. Oh yeah, obviously. Um, but I mean, listen, a lot of like post. What's the word post posthumous? Stuff about James Dean, especially in like the internet culture, is like James Dean being a gay icon, and it's like, all right, all right, all right. I like, I get it. I mean, that's just how we talk about things. Uh, um, But I mean, there's a lot of scenes, particularly, I mean, in Rebel Without a Cause with Salminio, who looked up to him very deeply in real life as well, um, who also suffered a very early death. He was um, in love with Pierre Angeli, though. Who's the, the one? The Italian girl. Oh, I don't. He was he was in love with her. Um, but there's a lot of scenes of like screen tests with James Dean. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any of them. My where he's opinion, like being yeah. very playful with like young men. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, I mean, people like to paint him as like an icon yeah, a, a gay icon i think it's simplistic uh yeah i don't think it's that simple um do you think i think his yeah. complexity is why uh he is very important to me and, yeah. and you as well do you think james franco is the next james no Dean? i think he could have been i used to be very intrigued i love james, james franco. franco when i was I, like, actually palo alto uh, you read it? I didn't read you it, but watched I watched it. it. I read it. I went to the book signing when I really? started undergrad. I think he's very dark and yeah. sadistic. Yes. Fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I think he's a great actor. He, I liked when he was in the James Dean movie. He did a pretty good mm-hmm. job. I don't think I've ever seen it in full, but... Yeah, it was good. Um, 
people, I mean, people make the comparison ever since he was, you know, even the, is, is James Franco gay? And, um, yeah, he, James Franco, I mean, he's a sadist. I'm a sadist. Yeah, for dark. Very dark. dark I mean, there's stuff. stuff about, I don't know if you don't know this, but with Lana Del Rey, he like wrote a poem about her. Oh, really? Yeah, and it was pretty, it was like a little weird. Yeah, and, something. Um, I used to really follow like everything he yeah. did for a, a couple of months. Um, but Pal- I was a big fan. I know a lot of people don't like it, but that was um, Emma Roberts. Yeah, yeah. I who's, liked it. I who's the it was... guy? Oh, I don't know. It wasn't Timmy. No, no, this no. This was no, before no, no. Timmy. This was pre Timmy. Um But yeah, he was. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I, he's, he's like quasi canceled. In today's mm. world, I mean, he, like, I don't know that he'll really get any more jobs doing anything significant. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, anyway. so, so you're going off of James Dean, Oscar Wilde, this brings Smith. me to the most important figure in my life outside of my immediate family. Yes, Stephen Patrick Morrissey. Mm-hmm. Um, the greatest songwriter, musician. I mean, he's not a musician, but greatest song. singer. Uh, yeah. Greatest songwriter. Greatest. Uh, well, I don't know I'd, anything about him. So I know Stephen knows nothing like about. I know Dasha posts about correct. him. I have friends who talk about him. But it's, it's so there's like a big wild influence. Yes. Well, decadence. So I mean. Before he was Morrissey and the lead singer of the Smiths, he wrote a book about James Dean. Um, he wrote a book? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Called James Dean is Not Dead. I mm. don't own it because it's very rare. Oh. But uh, that was... he was he, Really? Yes. Oh. You look it up. Um, so that is the connection, mm. at least immediately. Morrissey saw a lot of James Dean and himself and, mm-hmm. and his life um, in mm. Manchester. Uh, but anyway, so then he becomes the lead singer of the Smiths. He writes all these songs. and What um, kind of music is... What, like, what do we call this? I mean, we'd call it indie, but it was pop. Indie, it, it was, pop it's pop, yeah. Mm. Um, $226 for this book. I yeah, it's expensive. Uh, he, I also know that he references other decadent authors mm-hmm. like Baudelaire, like Rizmal. Yeah, there's. Um, I mean, there's the song "Cemetery Gates," which is, it's it's spelled "Cemetery," which is kind of oh. like the joke that it's spelled wrong because oh. it's about literary giants. Like okay. uh, the the lyric is oh, like, okay. um, it's like something something something. Mm-hmm. Keats and Yates are on your side while uh, Keats and Yates are on your side oh. while the uh, weird lover Wild is okay. on mine. Okay, which is anyway. So I mean, that's like a direct reference to Wild, sure. but um, that's like a. I mean, Wild and um, I mean the 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 aesthetic, the decadence is a big part of the Smiths and Morrissey. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people even looked at. Um, the boy with the thorn in his side, which is the name of another Smith song, and thought, "Oh, it's about Oscar Wilde." I mean, he was said, he raised Catholic? Yes, he's Irish. Irish, Irish Catholic. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yes, there's a big oh, part of his wild. autobiography um, about Catholicism. And does he have like um, some esteem for Catholicism? Or is he like, yes, oh, the great reverence. I mean. Bad. Great, re- yeah, okay, great reverence. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen that. him. It seems like I've it. seen him in concert and seen video, and he, in his more recent stuff in the last ten years, he does typically wear a rosary on his belt. Loop. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, I mean, as you're listening to me speak about it, the amount of information I know is kind of yeah absurd. Well, yeah, I do that. Um, well, so is he's a sodomite. He's bisexual. Well, I mean, he's ambiguous. Well, you'll find this funny. The the great legacy of Morrissey is that he was a notorious celibate. Oh, okay. He's one of those. Yes. He's an Andy Warhol. Yes. And that he, he was this big rock star who sang about sex and love. And, yeah. Okay. But he was celibate. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's I a, mean, a, a, a true artist. The, you get that. 
that like later on people started to question that because there was like some people i'm sure you fooled around yeah but there was never that's the yeah that's the same as world yeah um i mean a lot of his songs his especially his solo songs there's like songs called like will never marry um like a lot of stuff about like how he's on his own and that's it also pal yeah yeah i mean it's it's all very similar um yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, I mean, what most people know more C for today is that he's like this anti woke racist. Oh, that's his mo. Um, anti immigrant, correct? Politically incorrect. In which his is, music or no, like no, 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 no. I mean both. Um, I mean he has a really funny song called "The National Front Disco." Oh, which is very funny. Is he like actually racist? No, no. he just doesn't say. No, he just doesn't follow the. Okay. You know, because they're. I mean, he them. said like border, like obnoxious things that. Mm-hmm. I mean, because the big thing about Morrissey is that he's like a staunch vegan animal mm-hmm. rights person. Oh, so like, he says a lot of stuff about China and their like transgressions. Oh, um, yeah. And a lot of people take. He says things that I mean could Stop be Asian hate. N- is he a- hating Asians? He's not hating Asians. I think a lot of people would say he is, but I don't. If any, I don't know. I if you have. Anyone who's a fan of his and knows who what his thing is, is that, I mean, you would know he's not actually racist. He just mm-hmm. says obnoxious things that um, a lot of people would, a lot of anti-immigrant stuff people think is like, um, I mean, I don't know. I'm of the opinion that he's a little conservative politically and people like him. Um, in what ran. sense of the word? Socially. Um, okay. Because the whole immigrant thing, you can go many ways about that. Yeah, like, well, it's it's a lot about like English. Uh, oh yeah, that's a whole other. That's a, it's not a, it's really not in the. It. I mean, people view it in the like American Brexit sense. Brexit stuff. It's kind of, but not really. It's complicated. All right, I don't really understand um, the Brexit thing anyway. Yeah, it's for us dumb Americans. Yeah, I distinguish between people who value like national pride and having you know some secure mm-hmm. borders versus someone who's like I hate anyone who's not like real. Yeah, no, 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 that's not what that. No, 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 no. Like, well, yeah. first of all, I mean he's a fan child of immigrants, Irish immigrants at that. Who are is um, he dead? No, How he's seventy. No, two years younger than I probably. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I really don't know anything. Yeah. I don't listen to anything that's not rhythmically driven. Well, okay. Now now to connect it to your host, Stephen, of this podcast. Morrissey is known for having a totally wild, fanatical Mexican audience. Yeah. Yes. But, I mean, Hispanic people really like rock. The ones well, that really yes, rock. and a big part of it is that, I mean, they have like you know the shrines of a uh, oh, like they yeah, they like beatify Morrissey and a lot of I mean especially in L.A. but um, in Mexico more so than other rockers. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Because I know Mexicans who are really into him, yes. but I but I just know in general like Spanish rock is a thing. Yeah, but I mean, a, a lot of people connect his songs to like ranchera style. Oh, so that's that connection. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they have a great affinity for Morrissey. Wow. Um, which is funny because I mean, <laughs> it's, I, I think it's Mexico. I mean, the songs are in English, obviously. I mean, he has a song called Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, oh wow! Which is funny. It's like he goes, "I went for a walk in Mexico, and I could smell like the." something like the power plant the texas like it's funny the lyrics funny um but yeah so i mean that there's so much Mm -hmm. um but in terms of culture i mean morrissey i guess his cultural significance is dwindling more and more um but i mean in england during the 90s early 90s late 80s i mean he they were probably the biggest thing oh wow I mean, they've been called the greatest band of all time. So when you talk to people your age, Mm -hmm. what's the reaction when you say Yeah, I mean, the the general consensus is like, oh, Morrissey, he's like a far right. Oh, that's the consensus. Yeah, and a lot of people are like, oh, 
you know, F Morrissey. You know, I oh. like the Smiths, which was the band, but I don't like Morrissey. But in know. general, people respect him as a musician. Yeah, as Smiths. a musician, yes. As a person, a lot of people don't yeah. like him. I, I, I disagree, I think. Okay. I think the what made the Smiths and Morrissey so great is like the aesthetic mm-hmm. um, of all of it. I mean, I have to show you some yeah. of their live video, but like the, you, you talk about artifice a lot. Yeah. Um, Camp. There's a lot of, there's, there was an, a period where he had like fake cuts oh, on his face. Okay. Cause you, he, he was the single at the time was called boxers and it was about mm. boxers. And it was like, Interesting. and there's another time he had like, he, he would uh, paint stuff on his chest. Sometimes like there was one time something that they have a song called William is really nothing. And it said, and there's a line of song. It's like, if you like to admit, if you like to marry me, you, if you like, you can buy the ring, blah, 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 blah. So anyway, like put marry me on his chest or there is, um, there's a photo shoot where he has the word fake, like drawn mm. on his neck um camp. but it's very 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 campy and i i think that's what makes them great i mean all their album covers i i could talk about this for hours but um you know james dean oscar wilde yeah i mean james baldwin as well oh really yes oh. well there's a controversy i mean campy. the one of the controversies of the <laughs> early 2010s with morrissey is that he put out a t-shirt with James Baldwin's face on it mm-hmm. that said, cause there's a lyric in a Smith song called unlovable that mm-hmm. goes, um, I wear black on the outside cause <gasps> black is how I feel on the inside, oh, which I mean, wow. and he put that on a t-shirt, which kind of funny, but wow. <laughs> all right. James Baldwin is not camp. No, He's way very too Protestant, moral, very yeah. puritanical, very moralistic. No. Yeah. My relationship with him has changed. I'll always mm. respect him, but I'm just but like, yeah, you're no, such I a understand. whiny Protestant moralist. Like, mm-hmm. I always want us to condemn people. Yeah. Ooh. Anyway, let's wrap things up. Yeah, it's good with me. Um, so this was like that. next podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it was about time, though. We've been waiting. Yeah, I mean, I, apparently I'm a big hit. Yeah, everybody was asking for him to come back, so mm-hmm. here he is. He'll come be back. back for more. Yes. Inshallah. Um... Is that your outro? No, I have to say the outro. So we hope you've been sufficiently scandalized. (laughs) The end.